Uh, Thank you, Pastor Nick. Tonight, Galatians chapter 3. In your Bibles tonight, Galatians chapter 3. Good to see you. This is a tremendous Monday night crowd. Appreciate your being here. You may have noticed in the lobby there is a table uh, with some books that deal with the very subjects that the Lord uh, 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 causes us to focus on in these days together. Yesterday morning, we saw the wonderful picture of faith in the strong tower running into the name of the Lord. There's a book on faith called The Faith Response. Do you know your concept of faith affects everything? And if we have a misconception of what faith is, then we're derailed before we ever even get started. So it is vital to understand what faith is and how faith operates. And so in the first couple of chapters, it is dealing with what faith is, and then it moves in the rest of the book on how faith operates how to claim facts, how to obtain promises. What's the difference between those two? There's a difference between a fact and a promise, and it affects the steps of faith. A couple of chapters on the prayer of the faith. It's actually stated literally in James 5, what is that? And then a chapter on the increase of faith. Then, in regard to last night's message, there is a book called The Liberating Life of Jesus. Last night we saw the importance of focus, that the focus uh, cannot be on an outcome, though we want a good outcome, Uh, If we want a good outcome, the focus has to be on a person. His name is Jesus. The subtitle of the book says, Finding Freedom in Christ Between the Two Extremes of Law and License. And it's amazing. We see both extremes all across uh, the country in our day. Uh, Some taking a law approach, a lawism or legalism kind of approach. And the focus is on that, raw, uh, that outcome, maybe good stuff, may not, uh, maybe added stuff, but still the wrong focus. On the other side of the equation, uh, some have rejected that, rightly so, and especially, you know, because uh, what happens is there's an emperor in a certain section of a group of churches, and everybody's got to follow what he says. But in the reaction to that, many really develop um, doing every man that which is, everyone doing that which is right in their own eyes. And they go from the emperor of a group of churches to becoming the emperor themselves. And it's a relativism in the name of liberty, and it again misses the person of Jesus. Liberty is found in a life. It's the way of faith in Christ alone. And so this is going into those subjects in great detail. Well, tonight, let's look at Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles. In a moment, we'll be over in Romans chapter 6, so if you want to, uh, you can uh, uh, put your finger over there. But I want us to uh, begin here with an umbrella text, a text that uh, gives us an umbrella of truth here in Galatians chapter 3, some amazing words. This will take us into some more detail. And the end of the message last night, when we were opening up the deliverance, we want to peel back some of those layers tonight. So let's look at this, Galatians chapter 3. 3 verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 says, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. All right, so you become a son or a child of God through faith. That's verse 26. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were born into the family. You became a child of God. When that happened, you were baptized into Christ. And when that happened, you were clothed with Christ. 
And there's something about those words and the meaning of them to be immersed into Jesus and to be endued or clothed with Jesus that is such a vital union with Jesus that literally his life on the throne right now can be streamed into our experience. The title of the message tonight is Life Streaming. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you'd open our eyes. Thrill us with the truth. Nurture faith. Lord, may we embrace what you say to be so. And may we respond in genuine confidence. I do plead the victory of Jesus over the enemy tonight. Breathe on us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I entered full-time evangelism in 1992. That's 30 years ago. Hard to believe, hard to believe. And in the early days, you know, uh, uh, sometimes when we were, uh, uh, were traveling, especially if we're going from one section of the country to another, once in a while we'd have to travel on a Sunday. So when that happened, when it came to uh, church time, you know, we'd look for a church, we'd pull over there, and hope for the best. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, uh, now, of course, you can just live stream. And I remember when my home church started live streaming some years ago, uh, it was fascinating because, you know, here we are driving down Interstate 40, you know, across New Mexico or wherever, and uh, we're watching the service as it's taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And of course, live stream has been a great blessing during this COVID time as churches that uh, had not used it are now using it, and it's been a help and a blessing. We thank the Lord for that. Well, God had this live streaming thing figured out long before man did. But God's version is better. It's life streaming. What does that mean? You see, since you are joined to Jesus, if you are born again, then you have the privilege of life streaming. That is, you can life stream the very life of Jesus and experience his life right now. How can that be? What's the basis for that? Because if it's wishful thinking, then we cannot exercise faith. We're just trying to fake ourselves out. I want us tonight to see three reasons from the Word of God, God's reasoning that build our faith on this matter of life streaming the very life of Jesus. Number one, God identifies you as a child of God. God identifies you with Christ's life. Now, this is what we see here in our text, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you became a son or a child of God. And verse 27 says, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Now, in the scripture, there's these verses that deal with baptism. And sometimes there's an argument among theologians whether or not a particular passage is talking about water baptism or whether it's talking about spirit baptism. Well, it's really simple. If in the context, the person doing the baptizing is a human being, and if the element being baptized into is H2O, then it's water baptism. <laughs> but if the person doing the baptizing is deity, and the element being baptized into is deity, then it's spirit baptism. So in our text, when it says, for those of you who were baptized into Christ, is that water baptism or spirit baptism? That's spirit baptism. This is an amazing text of Scripture. It's telling us that when you got saved, you got immersed into Jesus, and when you got immersed into Jesus, you got clothed. It's the word endued. Uh, uh, you, got, you put on. Sometimes it's translated that way. You were clothed with Christ. In other words... 
Once you become a child of God, immediately, regardless of the fact that you're a brand new Christian, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Think of it this way. If you take a sponge and immerse it into water, as that sponge is submerged, can I use the term baptized, as it's immersed into water, as it goes into the water, immediately it's enveloped with the water. It's clothed with the water, we might say, as the water moves into the sponge. And in similar fashion, the moment you believed on Jesus, whether you knew it or not, the Holy Spirit baptized you. He immersed you. He submerged you into Christ. And as you were plunged into Jesus, you were enveloped with Jesus. You were clothed with Jesus as he placed his spirit into you. And on that basis, God identifies you with Christ's life. Why? Because you're in him and he's in you. <laughs> There's a union. And God's identification of you is in him. It's with Christ. Secondly, God identifies you with Christ's history. At this point, we will go over to Romans chapter 6 and we'll uh, not go back to Galatians. So if you want to flip there, uh, there's just a couple of phrases I want to point your attention to. And I think it'll help you to see these phrases with your own eyes and let the Spirit nurture faith in your heart. You see, God identifies you with Christ's life. Now we're going to see that God identifies you with Christ's history. Now, it's a logical conclusion that if you got placed into Jesus, if you're in him, then obviously you're in his history. You know what that means, friend? When you got born again, not only did you get a new future, a new destiny, which is marvelously true, you got a new past. Whoa, that's absolutely amazing. Because you're placed into Jesus, therefore you're placed into his history. Now, there's several facts the scripture points out in that particular regard. Two of them are in Romans. We're going to look at those tonight. One of them is in Ephesians, and Lord willing, we're going to look at that tomorrow night. Uh, so uh, let's look at the two facts that are here in Romans that deal with being placed into or identified with Christ's history. The first fact is that you died with Christ. You died with Christ unto indwelling sin. What are we talking about? Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, so there's our tie-in to what we just saw in Galatians. So uh, uh, it's saying, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, if you got plunged into Jesus, you're in him, therefore you're in his history, therefore you are in his death. And that is why, if your eyes will go up just to verse 2, the previous verse, it says very plainly, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now friends, whatever that statement means, that's monumental. And it's telling us, look, you got placed into Jesus when you believed on him. You were baptized into Christ. You're immersed into him. Therefore, you're in his history. Therefore, you're in his death. And when he died unto sin, you did. Now, only he died for our sins. That's the gospel to sinners in 1 Corinthians 15. But Romans tells us that he died unto sin. That's the gospel to saints. You see, we could say it this way. Through death with Christ, the old you, 
was severed from the old master of indwelling sin. To see this further, look down at verse 6. What a verse this is. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So when Galatians 2.20 says, I am or I have been crucified with Christ, this is telling us what part of the I got crucified. In other words, crucifixion is all about death. So who died? In other words, what part of you got killed? Somebody got nailed. Somebody was crucified. And here it says old self. Uh, uh, literally, the word underneath the word self is the word man. For the old man. Or for the women in the audience, the old lady. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> Now, who is that talking about? Now, physical death is when your soul separates from your body. The best I can tell, that has not occurred for anybody in this audience. <laughs> and don't try to do it tonight. <laughs> so that means it's not talking about your soul or your body. There's only one part of us left that this old man could be talking about. It's your human spirit. That's the entity that got killed. That's the part of you, the old you, the old core, the old real you. That's the part that got literally killed. Now, death in its practical essence is a separation. As I just mentioned, physical death, the practical essence of physical death is when the soul separates from the body. Okay, so for the human spirit, the old you, the old man, the old self to die, it means there has to be a severance. There has to be a separation. So what union got severed? And that's where verse 2 tells us the answer. It says you died to sin. Now, please don't miss this. It doesn't say sins as in actions as in plural, as in Romans 1 through 5, dealing with justification from our sins. It's sin in the singular. It's a switch in Romans 6, 7, and 8, moving from the plural to the singular. And we're told more about it in Romans 7, verses 17 and 20. It says, sin which dwells in us. In other words, it's not sins. It's that entity inside of us that urges us and compels us and influences us to commit sins. In other words, when there is a trigger of temptation and you feel the pull, that's indwelling sin. When there's that, oh, I just got to blow up. Whatever the issue is, that pull toward the trigger of temptation is sin who dwells in us. And prior to salvation, in the core of your being, your old man, that old you, that old real you, was in a union with indwelling sin. It was as if we were shackled. It's as if we were chained to this old master of indwelling sin. So let's read further about this in Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self, this old man, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin. See, prior to salvation, this is what's happening. 
Your body, sometimes we turn, use the term flesh. Flesh is not the same as indwelling sin. Indwelling sin is the who, flesh is the where. In fact, in Romans 8 and verse 4, it says that Jesus condemns sin. That's who, in the flesh, that's where. The flesh or the body on the soul and body levels, that's the turf for the activity of this old master of indwelling sin. Did you know that sin cannot sin without a body? <laughs> and to get more specific, as Romans 6, 19, or uh, verse 16 and 19 says, without body parts, eyes, ears, tongue, hands, feet. See, the body, the turf, that's where this, it's the sphere, it's the turf where sin seeks to do his dirty work. And prior to salvation, we are chained, we are shackled to this guy, and we're told here in verse 6 that we got baptized into Jesus, and when that happened, the old you was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by indwelling sin might be rendered powerless. That's a very good translation. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, it's as if we're shackled and chained to this, this taskmaster. You see, the old you is personified as that old man, and the old master is personified here because it says we're enslaved to this guy, so we are chained and shackled to this master of indwelling sin, so that prior to salvation, everything we do is tainted by that relationship. Everything falls short of the glory of God. <laughs> Even the best efforts of unsaved people. Wow, but here's the good news. Through death, there is a severance. You see, we can't do it on our own. So how does this work? Look at verse 10, one of the greatest statements in the New Testament in its theological impact, I believe, is Romans 6 and verse 10. For the death that he, Jesus, died, here it is, he died to sin. Once for all. You see, not only did he die for our sins, gospel to sinners, he died unto sin. You see, there's a severance. Now, in order for that to happen, there had to be a time when Jesus had come into union with sin. The conglomerate sin of the entire race. And, of course, that's crucifixion day. In fact, we're, when we read the description in the Gospels, I think it's amazing in the uh, Gospels when it tells us that from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the entire planet Earth went dark. What a day. We're told at the end of those three hours, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's pretty strong. Why did Jesus say that? It is because in those hours, Jesus, God the Son, functioning as the Son of Man to represent us, was separated. See, that's the essence of death. He was separated from the Father because he had come into union, actual contact with your sin and mine. In fact, the sins of the race. And that is why 
We're told in the New Testament that Jesus is the last Adam. He's never called the second Adam. He's called the second man. He's called the last Adam. Why? Because the sins of the entire race, think of this, from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to the last human being who will ever live, the conglomerate sins of the race was put on Jesus, and he's the last Adam. Every sin went on him to the cross. And before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he cried with a loud voice, it is finished. And then here it is. He died unto sin once. And here's the beauty. When you believed on Jesus, you were baptized into Jesus. And when you got baptized into Jesus, you got placed into his death. And when you got placed into his death, you died unto sin. You see, in the immaterial part of us, that old you that was shackled and chained and bonded to that old master of indwelling sin, and we couldn't get away. When we believed on Jesus, we're placed into his death. And at that moment, the cross came in like a giant knife and cut through every shackle and set us free and that is why in the very next verse if you'll see it there in verse 7 I love it it goes on to say since a person who has died is freed liberated from indwelling sin hallelujah that is a fact now Indwelling sin, sin still hangs around in our soul and body levels. That's why we mess up. But we're no longer connected. It's no longer forced slavery. We got unstuck. That old relationship is over permanently through death to indwelling sin. When my wife and I uh, purchased a house in southern Michigan in 2009, when the economy had uh, crashed, Michigan was a mess, uh, the auto industry went haywire, you could buy houses in Detroit for a buck. That's the honest truth. <laughs> now, you wouldn't want them, but <laughs> you could buy <laughs> some houses in Detroit uh, for $1 uh, back in uh, 2008. Uh, 2009. It was a mess. Uh, now, this was more than a buck, and, and it wasn't in Detroit. This is out in the country. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it was, it was a good deal, whatever. This is how the Lord led. So we got this house. Well, we're not there much because we travel most of the year. Uh, so we moved in at, at, at holiday time. It was December, and we discovered that we were living with squirrels. Not the gray ones, the little red ones. I don't know if you have those in California or not, but these little red squirrels that uh, they can get anywhere. They're really fast. And uh, they were living in the attic. And uh, they, were, they were waking me up in the morning, like way too early. This is my vacation, you know, this is a holiday, you know. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man. And, well, I, I couldn't even deal with it then, you know. We're on to meetings in January. And, and so in the, in the summertime, I got a guy to help. And, uh, you know, eventually we got him out of the attic. That took quite a while. I think it took a couple years. Uh, but we got him out of the attic. Uh, but then they found another spot. On the main floor of our house, we're a two-story house. If you go out the back... Uh, back uh, sliding doors there's a deck and uh, uh, two there's woods back there that's where all the squirrels are coming from and uh, there's a door that goes down into the basement and there's kind of a sloped roof line there and there's cedar wood they were see that's how they get in they 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 can chew right through the cedar wood there's cedar wood eaves that's how they got in the attic but we finally got them out of the attic and so now they're in this other spot and uh, so that at least they weren't in the attic waking me up I was half tempted to leave them there uh, then we found a dead one in the furnace and I thought well you know how far are they penetrating into this house and, uh, uh, you know, I've never been much of a hunter. I grew up in Chicago. I, uh, you know, I just, you know, 
Chicago, you, you, you know, you don't hunt. But, uh, but I became a hunter <laughs> because we couldn't get rid of these things. And I had tried every method. Everybody told me this kind of trap, this kind of trap. Whatever. Yeah, you know, we still had all these squirrels everywhere. And so finally, my brother-in-law lent me his pellet rifle. Now, forgive me if you have a different view about guns, but <laughs> uh, he uh, let me his pellet rifle, 1,250 feet per second, and we started nailing these things. I remember the first summer that we started using this, <laughs> I think it was 2016, we killed 30 of them. Now, I want you to know, my wife even got into this. I mean, she was like Elmer Fudd, you know, you know, where's the wabbit, you know, <laughs> if you know what Elmer Fudd was, but uh, uh, at any rate, uh, my son got it, my son nailed one at 50 yards, right, right out of a, a weeping wheel, now we don't count them unless they fly off, <laughs> you know, I've seen them go up in the air and hang on the limb on the way down and I've heard them cry out, I'm too young to die, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I've seen them lay over flat and then roll off, I've seen them just fly off, I mean, all, you know, and anyway, we got 30 of them that summer. Then the next summer, now some of you are feeling sorry for the squirrels. You need to, still, you need to feel sorry for us. But at any rate, uh, the next summer we got 26. And then uh, next summer, they're still there. I mean, I mean there, there's a lot of squirrels out there. I get this. But I thought, man, I don't know. But they were less. You know, I, you know, it used to be you could see them everywhere, hear them. I mean, I can hear them, I can hear them gnawing on a, I've, I've learned all the sounds, you know. <laughs> And so uh, they were getting depleted. I thought, well, maybe we're getting somewhere. And by early 2019, they were hard to spot. I thought, I think we may have done it. But I didn't want to plug up the hole because I didn't want them to go back up to the attic. So all I did was stick a stick in the hole. And as long as the stick was there, I knew they were out in the woods. <laughs> and if the stick was gone, I knew they were in the house. So that was my little method. And... Uh, uh, through the holiday season, the sticks stayed there the whole time. I thought, man, I think we're getting somewhere. Went out for meetings, came back in February for a couple of days. Stick was still there. I thought, wow. Came back in March, stick is still there. <laughs> I think we got them licked. Came back in May, and the stick was out. <laughs> and they were in, having babies. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, now what am I going to do? So one day, they were out playing around, laughing at the humans. And uh, so I saw that hole, and uh, I don't know, what am I going to do? And uh, then I had an idea. I thought, you know, when they come back in at night, <clears throat> I waited till they all got in. And then uh, I, had, uh, I had a glue board. You use those, you know, to catch mice and rats. Was a glue board. I had a glue board. Now, not the kind that's in a tub. It was the flat kind that you got to fold up. So it was just flat like this. And uh, they were all in that hole, and I just stuck it over that hole. I thought, well, they're at least going to get a mouthful of glue. I don't know what this is going to do, but, you know, I don't really want them dying in there because I want to stink up the place, but I was sick of it, so I just stuck the thing right over the hole and thought, we'll see. Well, next morning, that whole hole was, I mean, that, that, the hole, they ate right through the glue board. The hole was still as big as it ever was. And I thought, man, how does their saliva do this? How do they not get stuck? I mean, the rats get stuck and, you know, whatever, but, uh, so they're laughing. And uh, so now they're out playing. And I thought, well, they got to come back in tonight. So I took another glue board. So the one was, one was faced down this way, horizontally. So I took another one faced out. So I stuck it underneath. And in order for them to go in, they got to go over it. I stuck one this way, one this way. And with the curvature and the, the line of the thing, I knew they had to go over the glue board to get in. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it'll catch a foot. We'll see. <laughs> so next morning I come out. Sure enough, there's a red squirrel hanging there. And when he saw me... 
he went ballistic, but he was stuck. I mean, like three legs and a tail. <laughs> he was stuck. And, uh, and uh, he was, I mean, you know, I'm sure he went ballistic when he first got stuck. That's probably why he had three paws and a tail stuck. But, uh, you know, as he saw me again, all of his energy came back, and he tried, like everything, to get off that thing. He, he couldn't do it. And so I'm looking at him. And I'm smiling. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, now what do I do? You know, do I, do I let him die a slow death? Oh, that would be mean. So I took the rifle and at close range took care of matters. And you know what happened when he died? He fell off the glue board. And I'm scratching my head thinking, now wait a second. That, that squirrel has tried for hours to get off that, that board. Couldn't do it. He was stuck. But when he died, he fell off. Next two days, I got two more. Same thing happened. They were stuck, 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 stuck. When they died, they fall off. I don't know if their hair came out. I don't know what happened. But they would fall off. They got unstuck. Do you get the picture? <laughs> it's amazing what God lets happen to you so you can have an illustration. <laughs> Friends, we were stuck. We were bonded to that old master of indwelling sin. Try as we may, we couldn't get away. But when we believed on Jesus, we were plunged into Jesus and therefore into his death. And when he died to sin, we died to sin. We were set free. Hallelujah. So there's that first fact. You died with Christ. The second fact is you rose with Christ. That's the obvious next one. You see it in verse 5 here in Romans 6. For if we have been united together with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So through resurrection with Christ, the old you was raised a new you and was joined to the new leader of the indwelling spirit. You see, you died with Christ under indwelling sin, uh, indwelling sin, but you rose with Christ unto the indwelling spirit. That spirit part of you, the human spirit, died with Christ and then was resurrected a new man. And that's where the Holy Spirit moved in. Now, this is what I referred to incredibly briefly last night. That part of you is called the new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. A creative act of God took place in this resurrection. That part of you is called the new man or the new you, new self, in Ephesians 4.24, created after God in righteousness and true holiness. What does it mean when it says after God? That part of you is described in 1 John 3, 9 as God's seed. Let me throw a Greek word at you. You'll get it. God's sperma. Do you know that when you were born again, something of God's own nature was implanted into you? God's DNA. You are a child of God because his DNA has been inserted into you. Your body, your soul, your spirit. The spirit part of you is now the DNA of God. It is the, the seed, the nature of God. Do you know God's nature is righteous? God's nature is loving. God's nature is holy. God's nature is good. And that nature got put in you the day you got saved. And it's been there ever since. Even on your worst day when you totally ignored it. But it's there. You see, there had to be a part of us made holy so that the Holy Spirit could move in. 
And friends, it's not just that your spirit was regenerated with divine nature. So God's nature implanted. That's when the Holy Spirit indwells. He indwells there with that implanted nature. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 tells us. Now, when the Holy Spirit moved in, he's the new leader. I don't say master because he doesn't force us. Now, he, he is almighty. He is the Lord. He is the master, but he has chosen not to dictate. He leads, which means you have to follow. In fact, you can ignore him and you can go back and serve that old sin master who's not even your master. But it's no longer forced slavery. It's now voluntary slavery. What a tragedy. You say, why doesn't he just force us? <laughs> Sometimes I'm thinking, man, I wish he would. Because he doesn't want us to be robots. He wants a love relationship. He wants us to gladly follow him. He's the leader. See, last night we talked about focusing on the person. You see, he's the leader. He's the power source. As you look unto Jesus, he authors faith. As you de depend, as you exercise faith, he gives you power. You see, he moved in to lead and empower from the very core of your being. That old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed. And this new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. This is a permanent union. You are fused to Jesus. I know in our world we have these things called Gorilla Glue and Super Glue and all this kind of stuff, and half the time to me they still break. But this bond never breaks. You're fused to Jesus. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It's what the text says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. There is this amazing union. That is our provision and through the faith access, which we'll talk about more here in just a moment, you can access his life. And when you do, his life overcomes. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome. And that overcoming life is in you. The very life of Jesus that walked the planet and was tempted and tried and tested. Yet without sin. His nature was implanted and his spirit indwells. And when you access him, he overcomes. It's just like when somebody's about to drown and somebody throws out that life vest and they put on the life vest and the buoyancy of the life vest counteracts and overcomes the downward sinking tendency. On our own, we sink fast. Isn't it amazing how you can be doing so well and then get a little cocky and in one moment go down hard and go down bad. But you know, when you put on Christ, the, the buoyancy of his life counteracts and overcomes the sinking tendency when we ignore him. So, we've seen two, two major reasons so far that to build our faith for this life stream. God identifies you with Christ's life. You're in him, he's in you. God identifies you with Christ's history. You died with Christ unto indwelling sin. That, that relationship was severed. You rose with Christ unto the indwelling spirit. That relationship has been sealed. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at another fact of identification. You were enthroned with Christ. That is stunning. It is staggering. It is the provision to deal with the enemy. 
Christ in you is the provision to deal with down here, the world and the flesh. You in Christ is to deal with up there, the spirit or spiritual realm. That's what we'll look at, Lord willing, tomorrow night. But tonight, let's finish off with one other reason. Not only does God identify you with Christ's life and his history, secondly, or thirdly, God identifies you with Christ's acceptance. You don't need to turn there, but Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted, accepted in the beloved. Wow. You know, God obviously wants us to live right or he wouldn't have moved in. But our acceptance is not because we perform well. Our acceptance is because we're in Him. The Father accepts the Son, and we are accepted in the Son. Amazing. We are accepted in the Beloved. Obviously, God wants us to live right. But friends, your acceptance is not based on your performance. And so what happens is, when your performance is pretty lousy... That's when the devil comes along and says, man, you're not accepted anymore. God's ticked at you. And all of those lies come crushing. You're not accepted. You see, rejection is one of the big psychological issues that people have to grapple with. In our society and in our culture and even in our Christian culture, the rejection, and there's many forms of rejection, Okay, well, when people think that God rejects them, they're messed up. Friends, God grieves over our sins, but we're still accepted in the beloved, period. That's amazing, but it is true. The lie is to say, ah, oh, you failed, you blew it, you're a loser, you're a dud. <laughs> uh, you know, no more hope for you. You had a bad moment. You're forever defined by the shame and the guilt that you feel from that bad day, that worst day. That's a lie. You are not identified by your worst day. You're identified by who you are in Christ. And if you ever want the worst days to lessen, grab a hold of your identity and start accessing your provision, and the life of Jesus starts overcoming. That's how it works. See, grace is greater than our sin. It never leads us to sin. And when you access Jesus, you access grace himself. And that's when you are empowered and you experience the life stream. See, Christ lives in us, Galatians 2.20, dot, 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 by faith. You see, without faith, the life stream is, is not manifested, though he's in you. But through faith, that life stream from the throne is manifested as his life animates your personality, as this divine someone animates the human someone, as the spirit of Jesus in you imparts the life of Jesus to you and through you so that you experience the very life of Jesus on the throne. That is life stream. So how does it occur? We're accepted in Christ. That's a done deal, period. But the access to all of this provision is faith. In Romans 5 and verse 2, it says, In Jesus, we have access by faith into this grace. Wherein we stand. You see, we have the provision of grace. We're in Christ. He's in us. But you have to access the provision. It's not automatic. It's by faith. 
because without faith it is impossible to please him. Now here's what's interesting. Our text in Galatians said that you got clothed with Christ. You were endued with Christ. You put on Christ. It's a done deal. In the language of the grammar of Galatians 3, it's done the moment you put your faith in Jesus. But Romans 13, 14 says, but be clothed with Christ, but put on Christ. Now, wait a second. Why is Romans commanding us to do what Galatians says is done? This is one of the enigmas that people grapple with. And if you don't grab this, you miss out. Because some say, well, it's a done deal. I don't have to do anything. And others say, it's all up to me. No, the provision is there. That's done. The access is faith. That's a responsibility. But faith is not a work. So it's not on us. It's on us to depend on him. See, faith is not a work. Faith depends on the worker. You see, you have put on Christ. As a matter of fact, the provision is there. But as a matter of function, faith has to take what God is giving so that life stream is manifested in your very being. You see, we saw last night, because of the provision that we're talking about, you're not a dirt ball. Now, on the body level, we kind of are, because, you know, Genesis does say dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return, you know, you hear funerals, whatever. Okay, so on the body level, we're dirt balls, but <laughs> we're not talking about that level because the body is going to be glorified. We're talking about this provision. The spirit part of you is God's nature. Don't call it a dirt ball. See, that's why God calls you a saint. That's what we were dealing with and honing in on last night. But the truth of the matter is, though we're not dirt balls because in Christ we're righteous, we often act like dirt balls and make dirty messes because we ignore the leader who is the power source, one and the same. You see, without faith, we don't please God. You can try to please God all you want to, but the only way to please Him is to trust Him. In other words, He's providing, thanks be to God, who is giving us the victory, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is living in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. All of these truths are, 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 are the same truth. It's the very life of Jesus living in us, but it is accessed by faith. Now, what would be the step of faith? Do you have to ask Christ to live in you if he already does? Now think about it. If Christ is already living in you, do you have to ask him to live in you? No, because if you ask him to live in you, it means you don't believe he does. <laughs> but you do have to exercise faith. So what's the step of faith? Well, if he is giving us the victory, if he's giving, we should be taking. Ah, you see, when it comes to a fact, when it comes to a reality that already is, which is what we're dealing with tonight. Everything we've talked about already is if you're a child of God. You don't have to ask for any of this. You've got to take it and then act on it. The old song, Trust and Obey. It's take the provision and then act on it. It's just like, as I mentioned last night, somebody gives you that $100 bill and you take it. And now you spend it. <laughs> you take and act. Okay, in the same way, take Jesus and spend. Take his life stream and let that stream animate you for the steps of obedience like patience and purity and love 
That's how all of this works. And as you take the facts, you experience the function. So claim your God-given privilege to life stream, the very life of Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for truth personified in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would revel in the truth in Jesus who has set us free. And Lord, I pray that we would genuinely believe, as we talked about last night, that we are severed from the sin master because we are. We're joined to Jesus because we are. But Lord, may we learn to daily take, regardless of our feelings, take what is that when we act, it's not just us trying on our own, it's us animated by you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.